Charlene, and coming from where I'm from, all these songs from the first album that Atlantic, I had actually got another deal to Atlantic, but they didn't hear it. It wasn't until Jermaine Dupri heard, his father heard me sing at the Grammy brunch, at Londell McMillan's Grammy brunch, heard me sing coming from where I'm from, called Jermaine that same day. I had a meeting with him and uh, pretty much verbally signed me, saw the vision, don't shave, don't take off your trucker hat, don't put on no outfit. We're going full blast with this. And uh, that opened the door, and that's how people got, got to really see who Anthony Hamilton was. All right, fellas, I'm not trying to stereotype you all, but based off my own observations, you all don't handle heartbreak well. I mean, I think some of that is because you haven't been given room to express sadness. Men aren't supposed to be complicated. They're not supposed to feel. And so when it comes to music, it's very few male artists who y'all can relate to, who can make you feel comfortable expressing love and sadness, let you know it's okay to admit that you did us wrong, because most of the time it is y'all fault, or that your needs aren't being met. And I don't mean physical needs. You might just miss this damn woman. It could be as simple as that. Today on the podcast, I think I have the dude who most men I know consider to be someone who speaks to their pain, to their struggle. This man has had some of y'all shedding thug tears over the love of your life or the one who got away or where we have gotten on your very, very last nerve. So I am so pleased to welcome this singer, not singer, singer, Anthony Hamilton. He's up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Now, I don't normally like to start podcasts by asking my guests for a favor. Um, and I hate to be that person. <laughs> but Uh-oh. you got to indulge me, Anthony Hamilton, just a little bit. It's not for me. And I know you get this request uh-huh. often. He's like, I already know where this is going. So my husband loves your song, I'm a Mess. That is like his song. When I tell you how much, I already loved the song yeah. before um, he and I like got uh, got engaged. But... The song has taken on a new meaning because I see how he responds to the song. And yeah. it's just giving me an interesting insight <laughs> into how men respond to your music in yeah. general. Can you give me a taste of I'm a Mess? We've invested in a set of twins, small house, and a dog cried out. You know, that was a painful, I was in a painful place. I'm yeah, saying. It, it, was, it was, that was 4 a.m. in New York. Yeah, uh, that's how I, that I ain't really in that place right now. So, I, <laughs> so you like know. it's a little harder to put your. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard. I'm smiling like I'm. Uh, you, you are. Know, you you know. are. So where were you? Take me to that place when you created this song. I was living in New York, um, and I was recording with a guy by the name of Seth Solo, and uh, had gone through a ba- uh, bad breakup, and went up to record. We got up there about three. He started playing this song, and I heard it, and I was like, man. This is taking me to some place. And uh, and I said, I'm a mess right now. Can't he can't sleep. And my friend Janine, uh, she started saying, she's from a church from Chicago. You could have called, you could have wrote, you could have tried. Ready you slip me across the throat so I can die. Even though she's crazy anyway in real life. But we were both going through something. She had just went through an uh, abusive relationship and, I had just went through the muddy, painful, you know, get your stuff and find you somewhere else to live kind of breakup. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was in that place. Yeah. And uh, even though at that time I didn't have twins, I ended up having twins later on with my, uh, actually now my former wife. Oh, wow. So um, with this particular breakup, uh, what happened? Well, I think we just kind of outgrew each other. Uh, or maybe I wasn't growing in the way they needed me to. Um, I think they were looking for marriage, and I was looking for the right record deal. Wait, was this the woman that Charlene is based off of, or was somebody else? <laughs> ah, look at you yeah, I'm connecting the dots. I'm connecting the dots, man. Yeah, it was around that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I was, uh, I was, I was in love, and I didn't want to lose that. And it was a beautiful connection, but I was really still in love with the fact of I'm this close to getting a record deal and living out my dream. So how do I? Which one do I fight for? Mm. Um, that relationship gave you a lot of material. <laughs> Boy, that thing gave me some things, didn't it? It gave you a lot of material. I got to sing about the rest of my life. <laughs> exactly. A curse and a blessing, huh? Does does the the woman that this is centered around from from yeah. that song to Charlene? Does she know these are songs about her? I'm pretty sure she does, but she acts as if they don't. Right. <laughs> nah, but I'm sure she knows. Yeah, I'm sure she knows. Uh, Deep down inside. So when you we never talked about it actually. Oh, you didn't. Okay. So when you got when you got married, how did your wife feel about that? I mean, she had nothing to do with it. Right. You know what I mean? That was before her. Um, she sang background for five years, so those songs fed her. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure she was all right with it. Well, I guess I I, I asked that because. Um, my husband is so into that song, the the way he was. I was thinking, like, what woman did that to you? <laughs> like, yeah. Who is this woman? Do I need to know who you, this but is? Why, why do y'all even want to go back and, and go dig all into that? Yeah, you're right. I mean. Sometimes it's good if, if they still have scars that, that make them act out in a certain way. Then you want to go in and dissect it and, and have him reflect and then rebuild from there. But if he's still in a good place, evidently he is. You're going to marry him. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, you're right. So, um, it didn't. It didn't impede his growth. I didn't get the feeling it was connected to a personal experience, but it's just that y'all he, just want to know. It's just I that just, woman. I thing. just was curious. Who is she? <laughs> Let me put a face to it. <laughs> right. Exactly. She ugly. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> She's not you. It's okay. She ain't you, baby. She well, uh. She ugly. Don't well, even worry of, about it. Part of the reason I was, um, you know, able to connect so many dots, uh, not with you, but just mm-hmm. it helped me understand where your music came from. Is through your your book, Cornbread Fish and Collard Greens, um, yeah. which made me hungry, of course, immediately. <laughs> but, me but too. That was the point, right? Uh, not to make <laughs> me hungry, but the point was that this is food for your soul, and your mm-hmm. book certainly, um, I think, was intended to feed the soul. So, yeah. what did it feel like for you to to complete your you know a, a book? You know what? It, actually, I was pretty proud of myself because you know there's there's things I wanted to do in my life that I've drug my feet on. Um, so to complete it was is really uh, rewarding, but it was good to go back and reflect where where it all came from, some of the stuff I experienced, and just to go back and see my growth, see the things that that I need to 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 still continue to grow from, and uh, I don't know, just it just helped me to build build myself in a different way, and uh, relationship wise, I see some of the things that were repeated in a relationship, but it was freeing. It was, it was definitely a freeing part of just exposing that. You, um, your process seems to be that you, you write a lot 
in the moment mm-hmm. or you you really I mean a lot of people when they're experiencing pain or heartbreak yeah. they tend to run from those moments you tend to sit into them was that always your process and if it wasn't how did you develop it I never developed it it just came out it was something that just happened when I when I went in to start singing or writing uh subconsciously and spiritually they were, they were all on the same you know same page and it just came out and it's just something that happens um even, um, I had a song, Amen. It's about, you know, I had met somebody after divorce and all that, and saying Amen, but but nobody in particular, really. Well, almost kind of, but <laughs> kind of sorta, you know. But bit. but it had me, it had me feeling in a certain way, and he's like, "Who is this? Got you saying and all this about the church?" So, you know, I pretty much tell it on myself. You know, every album that's something that's just going to be dead on true to where where I'm at in my life. It, do you ever have any concern? Because um, I'm sure you always hear this from, from fans, not necessarily about you, but generally about R&B singers is that yeah. when they're going through something, you get the best music. When they're not, yeah. you don't. And so do you ever worry that you become too dependent on the emotion you're feeling in the moment Versus just being able to generally, you know, write about experiences. I don't let that. Yeah, I, I vow to not ever let that, you know, control me. I see what they did to Mary J. Blige. That poor baby, she just started smiling. Uh, <laughs> As a longtime Mary J. Blige fan, I, the transition was rough. Fan. I was like, Mary, I don't, I don't know if I need you this happy. <laughs> and, and but I was honestly happy for it. Yeah, I was very happy for it. But you know, still, um, whether people, you know, you give them happy or you give them pain, they're gonna still need more. And, they, and some people are going to make you, I don't, not going to allow you to come out of that situation because they need you to be there because they, they're still in it. So they don't want to be alone. You were my Charlene. I was in, child, you brought me through it. And so they don't ever want you to come out of that. How dare you get happy and, and move on with your life? And, uh, and I'm still stuck back here. So <laughs> I get it. So I, I try to feed that part of, you know, my fan base. It, that must make you happy knowing that the fans connect so much with your music. Because well, if they so weren't connected. feeling it, Look, you know. It's like a choo-choo train. Like, what are, what's them, them little short trains where you put the little wooden chip? The old school trains? You used mm. to see them in the nurseries? Yeah. That's how I look back and I say, God, they still attached. But it feels good, yo. I got a, I got a long, um, have a long career in so, doing, doing good music. One question that I did have about um, Charlene or the the situation that the song is based off of is how come, well, I guess, uh, did you ever think about going back? I don't know if the time frame allowed you. Like, once you had the record deal, it was uh-huh. like, okay, saw how it was. Did you try to rekindle? No. No, I thought about it, and, and, and it kind of ended. There were some ugly parts to it that uh, I thought I needed to 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 stay there or try to battle battle whatever that they were feeling and try to compete with that but once i got out and got in my own space and and did all that i realized like i'm all right i'm okay that was cool it was painful i grew through it i'm human i have feelings deep deep feelings and i know how to love so i think i'm gonna be all right i think i'm you know, I'm a boy now, Damon. <laughs> I've made my way. And uh, nah, eventually, 
Mm-mm. I wanted to go back over and talk about it. You know, talk about one, two, three, four times, but. Just to see. Yeah, just to see that. It wasn't <laughs> Is that, this door still was open? Was it that thing that had me all thanged out? Or was it? <laughs> surely wasn't no cooking because I did all the cooking. <laughs> oh, you know what? <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't, yeah, you know, I wanted to revisit, you know. The Vandicap beans every now and again, but <laughs> terms of, but not on the relationship level. <laughs> no, nah, I think I I was like, you know what, your loss, you know, and, and it was a you know loss for both of us. We're both two great, amazing people, but yeah, <laughs> I still talk a little trash to a girl. <laughs> girl, you know you you're, you're missing out. So what? Um, let's uh, talk about those early days in New York, and for people who don't know the backstory. You go, wait, were you like 21, 22 when you moved to I'm New York? I'm probably like 22. 22. Yeah, you 22. moved to New York. Um, so explain a little bit of, of the backstory because you, it looked like at the time that you had a record deal, correct? Or you, or you were in line sort of on that path to get well, one. When I first moved to New York, I didn't have anything. Okay. Yeah, I, was a, I just finished barber school and my manager now, Eli Davis, they would look for me. I'd be in a barbershop cutting hair. Next thing you know, I'm in the cross town smoking weed. So I was all over the place. I was like, this, you know, I was always like a celebrity type of well-loved person in the neighborhood. But cutting hairs, you know, you you somebody. Yeah, you like, make a lot of friends like that, right? A lot of friends, yeah. and you're popular. And uh, so to catch me in a barbershop, you better you better be sharp uh, because I'd be all over the place. So they they looked for me for a long time, and eventually found me and said, you know, we're going to bring you to New York. Mark Sparks, who was responsible for me getting my first record deal and even getting into the business, um, had been promising me to take, bring, bring me to New York and never showed up. So this time I was like, all right, but I don't have no money. I only cut a few heads, $67. They end up showing up. I was like, oh, shucks. So we got in a Suzuki sidekick, about seven or eight of us. And we rode from Charlotte, North Carolina to New York, smoking blunts. That's when I was smoking. I don't smoke no more, but I respect it. We smoked weed and sang the whole way to New York City. We got there. I was overwhelmed. There was so many people. It was a little frightening. So I ended up doing um, some sessions, meeting a lot of people. And we got the attention of Andre Harrell, Jimmy Jenkins, Russell Simmons, and uh, a lot of other executives. We did a, a showcase at D&D Studios, which is, which is legendary for, for rap. I, I was, you know, I sang, I performed. Andre Harrell outbidded them, and Jimmy Jenkins, Ray Middleton, signed me to Uptown MCA. And that was over a course of two years. And I was slated to be one of the biggest artists, opening up for Jodeci and... Uh, that fell through. <laughs> Andre Harrell and MCA, they parted ways, and I got caught up in that. So um, uh, Now, were they linking you? That was the first deal. That was the first deal, right? Were they linking you with Jodeci because of the, the North Carolina correct, uh, connection? or They, they kind of liked the fact that, that we were. Uh, and at that moment, I didn't know that KC and JoJo and I were really actually related. And oh, really? How so? Through the Truesdales and the Smiths. Okay. So we're related from both both of those. Are they like cousins? Or? Yeah, we're cousins. cousins okay. Mm-hmm. So Casey and I, we keep in contact a lot. He lives actually still in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. JoJo's out here. I don't speak to JoJo as much. Uh, but Casey is like, what up, cuz? What you doing, man? So 
I'm actually going to write on this new album. But yeah, I opened up for them and I was scheduled to be super huge. And uh, it, it just fell through the cracks. So when that fell through, were you thinking, okay, or or how did you decide to kind of grind through it? Because obviously the other option could have been like, okay, I can come back to North Carolina. But, um, you know, mm. were you, I imagine you were in, in quite a bit of shock because that you moved up there for that. Well, you know what? At that time, I was okay still because I had made it this far. Like, I'm in New York City. I'm opening up for Jodeci. Andre Harrell, Puff was still there on his way out. I'm around all these people. Mary J. Blige, I saw her, Heavy D, and all these people. I'm I'm here. I'm touching them. And they're liking me. So I felt like I was okay. I was still on. I think I had the adrenaline of just making it there for a couple of years, maybe. And then that started to wear off after the second time um, when Andre Harrell, uh, when MCA didn't, they didn't feel the connection to me. Now, I don't know if it was possible, but why not go with um, with Mary Jane KC? I mean, you were you guys were kind of all lumped under the same group. They split off and go and do that. But why didn't they take you? They could have taken you, right? Or no? Well, MCA did inherit me. I okay. think I think Mary, I think it was at that time it, it was starting to divide Universal and MCA. They kind of were. I think they were different at the time. I think they were the same, but kind of different. Right. And I don't know what happened. I think Mary J. Blige and Jodeci, they they were already established. I hadn't coming out. I hadn't uh hadn't put out an album or a song yet. I had a single but never really made any impact. Mm. So people felt like, uh, it's a great album, but our name's not on it. Back then it was all about getting your name on it. So I went I had Hank Shockley was my my A and R and Heavy D was a part of it, but it was like they wasn't it wasn't their baby. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't like really find any footing, so to speak. Nobody, you know, they didn't have no, you know, we weren't gonna get no, no real money off of it, you know. They didn't get no kickbacks and none of that stuff like back in the day. So it was like, uh, we like you, but we need something to put our name on that that we did. So pretty much like I was shelved, kind of sort of for a minute. So the second setback. Um, how did you handle that one as opposed to? Well, it started to get real, real, like, okay, this is happening. This happened again with uh, the MCA thing. And then I went to Harrell Entertainment. At that moment, Andre kind of bought me out to go with him. He was supposed to get a deal with Sony. So I was kind of like, all right, man, this doesn't feel too good. It's starting to, starting to wear on me. And uh, eventually that fell apart. He and... Uh, What's his name that was over Sony at the time? Tommy Mottola. Um, something happened, you know, I guess with the Mariah Carey uh, hanging out or what. It wasn't nothing, like, sexual, but it was just the, they they didn't, they started bumping heads, and uh, I got caught up in that. I was like, I got to get away from Andre Harrell. <laughs> he like got the bad, key element here. <laughs> he got the bad juju, <laughs> music business juju right now. Right. <laughs> and I loved him to death, and he believed in me. Uh but it was time to start thinking about how do I get out of this? How do I get to a place where I get a fair chance? So um, despite the discouraging setbacks, what is it that made you keep grinding? I needed it. I needed to. Uh, I had a son when I was just turning 17, Anthony, and 
Then he had a brother, you know, Romero. So I needed to send money home. I didn't want that child support. I never had that, actually. But I didn't want to get into to that. And I had made it this far, and people were like, man, you've been up there such and such time. You ain't put out an album yet. You ain't going to do nothing. So the naysayers, you know, they were really people that were close to me. They were really kind of kind of cruel, kind of mean, and kind of just like, yeah, nigga, yeah, right. You've been up there. You ain't put out nothing yet. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it, and I promise. I promise I'm going to walk into it. And I kept on, and I started making money, doing background, session work. Um, get some, I had some co-writes with Donnell Jones on Say What, Say What. Um, and then things just started to pick up with that part. End up doing a background for D'Angelo. Went on tour, saw the world. And, you know, things started to look, look up a little bit. I was getting a different kind of attention. Yeah, I, I've heard you talk about, or I've heard interviews where you've talked about D'Angelo. And... Mm-hmm. The way you talk about him, I mean, it's almost like you consider him kind of a genius. He is. Yeah. I think he is. I think he's uh, one of those people that are so so musically talented that, you know, it it kind of it affects the, the other part of, of life when you're that great. People want so much of you. It's overwhelming, and some people can deal with it, and some people can't. And I think he has a, a challenge with bal- balancing the, the two. But when it comes to music and him just being a, a hell of a performer, hands down, can't nobody touch it. Mm. Yeah. How much of what you experienced and, and saw uh, in, in how he performed, how much did you take from that? A whole lot. That's where I learned how to buck off on stage, run off, you know, dive into the audience. Yeah, I was like, uh, people who haven't seen your show, they don't know. Yeah, I buck you off. You get after man. it. Yeah, I get after it real hard. And... Uh, I learned that to, to be free. Being, you know, I had Quest Love, James Poiser, uh, Roy Hargrove, all these great musicians, and you know, Shelby, Shelby J, singer background, Cowboy Jack, all these great people giving this great energy. So for me to go and do my own thing and not have any resemblance or reflection of, of that time, I it was impossible. I was like on musical steroids after that. <laughs> and uh, I would imagine, considering the uh, you were touring with him mm-hmm. um, during the height of his popularity. How does it feel? <laughs> right. It felt real good. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> we traveled the whole world. I mean, I remember being in a house party, a mansion in Brazil. I just remember it was candlelights, lots of beer. There was a lot of marijuana and a lot of women. And a lot of people having a great time. And, uh, yeah, I'm still healthy and safe. I didn't do nothing crazy. Uh, <laughs> but it was just they couldn't even speak English. We couldn't speak uh, Portuguese. But we were in there having the best time of our life. And that was just in Brazil. But we traveled in Europe for a whole month, month and a half maybe, a month, on tour bus. So seeing all these people in being affected by all these different people from different walks of life. It was powerful. I was like, you know what? This is a sign. I'm I'm getting there. I'm going to get there. And I just kept on doing it. So when your first album comes out and, you know, it's really real and solidified, mm-hmm. I mean, what did that all feel like as somebody who had been 
grinding for as long as you had and it had gone through different setbacks. Like, yeah. what did that feel once it finally happened? It was, I, I was so happy that it brought me to tears. And coming from where I'm from, that song was such a powerful song to me because I was recording. This was when I didn't have a deal, uh, it was kind of on the end of it. I went through a bankruptcy and all that stuff. So I was just recording with Mark Batson. He just let me come down. I didn't have a budget or anything. He just come down and write. So that's when I wrote Charlene, and I needed that for therapy. Charlene, and coming from where I'm from, all these songs from the first album, that Atlantic, I had actually got another deal to Atlantic, but they didn't hear it. It wasn't until Jermaine Dupree heard, his father heard me sing at the Grammy brunch, at Londell McMillan's Grammy brunch. Heard me sing coming from where I'm from. Called Jermaine that same day. I had a meeting with him, and... uh pretty much verbally signed me, saw the vision, don't shave, don't take off your trucker hat, don't put on no outfit, we're going full blast with this. And uh, that opened the door, and that's how people got got to really see who Anthony Hamilton was. Prior to that, I had the Nappy Roots, uh, Why Would Jada Kiss, Thugs Imagine with Tupac, and a lot of these songs, but that's when it all started, and I've been whooping ass and taking names ever since then. <laughs> so uh, when you uh, when you first kind of popped on the scene and were making your way, where did you feel like you fit in, in R&B? Because it was really nobody like you out there. You know what? I just knew that I, I could sing. I could fill the room up with vocals and emotion, and I performed from a whole different place than a lot of the other cats. They were trying to be sexy and cute outfits. I was going there. I wanted to going there and I wanted to wreak havoc with that microphone and I want that music to speak for me so I didn't really worry about it. I let you know everybody else put me where they thought I should be oh uh, do you think uh when you're a southern artist that there are certain um you know maybe stereotypes or certain perceptions that you face that other artists from other places don't face yeah they wanted me to sing in Birmingham Alabama every week <laughs> they're like let's book him off yeah. to the south hey, send him back to Alabama send him back to Birmingham I'm Birmingham's finest God I've been to Birmingham a thousand times in two weeks promise to God I was like am I back in Birmingham go around the block He's back in Birmingham they think so, only southern so, people want to hear from you yeah man they just kept me in Birmingham like Am I ever going to get out of Birmingham? I'm still in Birmingham today. <laughs> but I love it. They they were supportive in the beginning. But I, I think they think, um, I don't know, that it's probably, yeah, he's talented, but he's from North Carolina. He ain't from the big city of New York. So how far is he going to go? But, you know, we've we proven, you know, Fantasia, Jodeci, me, uh, Calvin Richardson. We, we're here to stay. Oh, it's a long list. Yeah, it's a whole long list of. Southern singing people who are still at it. Uh, we bring a different thing to the game. Yeah. Church. Uh, for sure. That's what family, it is. Family. You yeah. know what I mean? And those things that people, what you really need mm. for music. You grew up in the church, so I imagine it was probably a lot of pressure on you to go the gospel direction. <laughs> you had that. I had one of my aunts. She said, baby, because, you, know, you know, I still got the little scraggles on my face. Every now and again, I shave. Babe, I can't wait for you to put on that white suit and shave and get cut your hair. Oh, you're going to be so handsome. And just sing and sing for the Lord. I said, well, all right, Joe, it ain't going to be no time soon. I'm going to ride these naps out. <laughs> but now she's up, you know, she leaves me alone. I just bought her a whole set of teeth, <laughs> top and bottom. <laughs> top and bottom? And the oh. door wasn't cheap. <laughs> Cardi B. 
Hey, what you said? I got a bag and fix my teeth. I got a bag and fix my aunt's teeth. I'll fix them. I'm about to fix them little short gums you got there, baby. Bless her heart. You you know what? I mean, I'm sad. I'm telling you. She was souping it for a minute. Now my sound guy, Greg Black, he's doing the same thing, getting all his teeth pulled. And uh, he's souping it. I saw him in Mexico, and I was like, he's doing the same thing. I'm fixing a lot of teeth around here. You know what? That's a blessing. <laughs> That's a blessing. For real. Gummy like, bears. I got you, gummy like, bears all around me. I Joe can chew because of you. <laughs> See, that, that's a good nephew. She right? can I think she can whistle a little bit now. <laughs> She's back to whistling. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that beaver on, uh, <laughs> on Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> what do you just whistle? Just. I hope I Joe is listening. <laughs> she, she probably ain't even. With her new she team. She ain't got no antenna. <laughs> she ain't got no antenna. <laughs> no, she ain't got no antenna. <laughs> oh, so I see. You're not just Southern. You country with a K. I'm country with a K. With like a K. Like country Wayne. Oh, like that my. That sizzle in your spirit. Jeez. Oh, um, all right. Well, look. Uh, because of your country roots. <laughs> Um, there are some there are some particular country questions I do want to ask you. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break because I want to ask you about your food prowess because you a hell of a cook. At least the way you make it you make it sound. I've never had your food. Yeah, but yeah. you put you know you put a lot on your cooking. So I might have to ask I, you about I, I, some I recipes and everything. All right, cool. All right, to ask you about some food. Sure, came in here smelling like bacon. I got a oil. It's called bacon. I'm just kidding. I was like, I was like, that's like the. best. Bacon is undefeated, you know by the way. Said, I put it behind the ear. Nope. Long line. You can, See, drag, them. No you can drag them around the block. I thought the women was following you because of singing. It's uh, really the bacon. They're hungry. <laughs> we'll be back with more from Anthony Hamilton. <laughs> Uh, so obviously your your southern upbringing has a lot to do with the type of music that you put out because um, of just the way it sounds and how soulful it is. But you also you mentioned that you went to barber school. You worked in a barber shop growing yeah. up, yeah, um, or coming up rather in in, in Charlotte. Um, how did you use like your experience as a barber? Those experiences, what you heard in the shop, and everything you experienced there. How did you use those? And like, did you put those some of that into your into your music? And how did how oh, did it shape it? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, you can when you listen to my music, you can hear the cats playing checkers in front of the store. You can hear that wino in that path with that brown bag drinking that wine. You can hear all that in my music, and all that stuff that I've seen uh, coming up. I, I speak about it, um, even. A song called uh, "It's a Blues Record" on my last album. Uh, Ain't no shame. Seeing people who are just afraid to live life uh, speak about that. People just like uh, you know, people don't want to get off the porch um, to to go out and you know go out into the yard to see what they can find. All that that southern bringing. So it ain't all gravy and good. That you know what you experience down. But you have to speak about that. Those those are stories that were they were created for me to speak about and sing about. Yeah, uh, being in characters the actually. Yeah, characters. A lot of characters. Downtown. I'm sure. <laughs> Who were some of your favorite characters in the barbershop? Man, <laughs> who was what? James White. James White and Eddie White were brothers, but they fought like they didn't know each other. God Almighty, they fought so hard. Bats, all kind of stuff. But then they love each other and drank and. 
hold hands and there was one uh, uh, Andrew he was a little wild he was had a race car come Thursday come Wednesday evening you can hear him wham he's fixing on this race car in the yard come Thursday evening and Friday you better get out the street cuz you're going to get ran over cuz he's drinking and he's got his knife and he's riding around the block going fast and uh, these are I mean this is seriously some of the characters and some of the, like I still see that in my head. I ride through that street now. I was like, man, I could have got hit by a car. So I learned how to run fast. So my <laughs> grandmother lived right across the street from my 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 mom's apartment. So I'd run down a little hill with the gravel. We ain't had no pavement. Run across that that street so fast, man. I was like, Andrew could come out at any moment. Marie. Leo, Leo used to get beat up all the time. He was Indian looking. My cousin, my grandmother's son. I don't know why he used to get beat. He, he could not fight. Leo could not fight, and Marie couldn't fight no better. <laughs> so it ran in the sister. family. <laughs> yeah, they just they suck. But their daddy was crazy. He was, I seen him shoot shoot people with a shotgun in the middle of the street. I've seen it all. This sounds like a hell of a movie or a sitcom. <laughs> yeah, man. They, Uncle Jess, Uncle Jess, he got. They cut one of his fingers, shooting finger. It was cut off. I don't know if that was back in the day. I mean, because he was older. I don't know if it's something they did then, but but he still was shoot. <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with that nub? half nub. I'm telling you, pulled a shotgun. Probably a good aim. Yeah, he, I saw him. He laid somebody down in front of my grandma's house. Oh, my goodness. Um, and didn't do no time. I don't get it. <laughs> that sounds like quite a neighborhood. So I mean, there was a lot of love in that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I mean, uh, it, it definitely sounds like it. You know, having that experience. Um, you know, being in a barbershop. I've only been privy to a couple of conversations in a in a barbershop, and uh, some of them are like some of the most ignorant conversations ever. But ignorant from it, a not a not a harmful place. I don't it, mean that that way. It's from a place of. People having too much information and not having no information at That's the same time. That's what I time. mean. Yeah. It's the and not it's having information. Yeah. They, you know, you hear something from somebody who halfway heard it from somebody else. By the time we get to the barbershop, that's four different people telling the same story. And, you know, you you learn how to listen from a whole nother way. Uh, but there's tons of great information in the barbershop. And, and like I said, there's a ton of BS in the barbershop. But it was always a lot of love. The place where you go, get rehabilitated, uh, you find out what's happening in the streets, political stuff, talk about the church, the pastor who's sleeping with whoever. And these are the things you go to the barbershop to hear. Yeah. And as a kid, I would be listening so hard, you know. And, and it was kind of like, wow, this is really happening out here in the world, right? You get older, you were like, yeah, I'm going to go down here and see what's going on at the barbershop. Who got what? Who got the smoke? Who got whatever? You can find it in the barbershop. Oh, for sure. What? Yeah. Who got the? Who's selling them uh, glasses? Who got them? Uh, them them knockoff whatever? <laughs> like all that in the barbershop. Look, you can get some white teas, some meat. You white get, teas, meat. <laughs> you get all that in the barbershop. You know what I mean? Movies. I mean, yeah. the barbershop was. I mean, forget about Blockbuster. You went to the barbershop to get all the movies, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> and when my album came out, they had the bootleg. Oh, that must have that must have warmed your heart. It did. I signed them anyway. You signed the bootleg. Yeah, I did. <laughs> y'all taking money right out of my pocket, but Take it's it, good. But I'm gonna sign it. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, you, you put me out there. That's love. Bit. That's yeah. real love. So I, how, I, I what did it, call? I did snitch on one place. Oh, you did? As it got older, yeah. <laughs> For selling your stuff. Yeah, they they was 
they they didn't they didn't have no respect for me. Oh, okay. They looked at me like, all right. Who are you? Oh, that's me. In that case, you're going to jail. So I call it nine one one. No, you snitched on them. So I snitched on like them. last time they do that to me. Dry snitched because they ain't had no respect and oh, they didn't have no respect goodness. for the neighborhood. So y'all got to go. Um, what did the what did being in the barber <laughs> what did being in the barbershop what did that teach you about being a black man though? You had to have a sense of pride, no matter you know your circumstances, or whatever. Like you you walk with your head up and you uh, you make it work. You make it work by any means. You feed your family. You uh, pay your bills, and uh, you try to have some decent decency about yourself and some kind of pride. Like we go through a lot uh, as black men and black people, but we don't walk around with our head down. You get on back up there, and you go back up, and you fight that good fight. So I go there, I go down, and see my people. They say, well, it's good to see you. Give me a haircut come back up to New York and fight again. So it was a place where I went to go get rejuvenated and and uh, recharged. That, the church, go by a few family members' house. But barbershop is always, I still go by. Miss Mary's still cutting, too. She can cut. Miss Mary. <laughs> now you are... Uh... She pushed my hairline back. Oh, did she, nah, she put it back? No, nah, she ain't push it back. <laughs> she ain't push it back. Nah, okay. she ain't push it back. Um, <laughs> you are a father of six? Six sons. Six and all boys. All boys. What? So what's the age ranges? Youngest is seven. The twins just had a birthday on the second. Uh they turned nine. Then twenty two, twenty eight, and thirty one. Anthony Jr. is thirty one. Oh my goodness. So what is it like being the father of six? Or six sons, no doubt. Well you see I'm on on the road all the time. I gotta pay for it all. It's beautiful though. We you know, we we're really close. It's a lot of noise, a lot of wrestling, tussling. He hit me, you know. It's a lot of that, but but I feel like there's a lot of kings. I see an extension of me six times, and uh, they could be just as great in whatever they want to do. But I see the lineage, and I see uh, I'll be around for a long time after I'm gone. I tell you that nappy head boys. <laughs> What's the most important thing that being a father has has kind of taught you? It ain't about you, Anthony. It ain't about me. It ain't about what I feel all the time. Um, that's not always right. Um, I was taught it wrong, some stuff. So I had to relearn it as a father and and, and do it the right way because I don't want to keep the cycle going. Um, and every move I make, it ain't about me. It's about how is this going to affect my kids. Uh, if I go out and get sick or get on drugs or get injured or whatever it may be, all this will affect my, my kids. And, uh, you know, you, you think from a different place. And I don't know, it just makes you a better person. You're not selfish because my time is not always my time. Even though I'm tired and I need to regroup, they need, you know, you got to go see your kids. I just flew to uh, for, to Ohio where my younger three are just to, you know, their birthday was coming up, and I knew I had to go to Mexico. But it was important for me to go there and spend about four or five days prior to that and have a celebration before I took off, just to let them know, like, no matter what daddy's doing, like, you guys are priority. And uh, I try to do that, even with the older boys. Actually, the one is here in L.A. Yeah, Romero, I'll be calling him, do a little lunch. 
hey dad i'm i'm uh i'm working right now i'm in the studio and i'm building a i'm doing a little uber on the side and whatever but i'll call you back i was like what just me daddy <laughs> but we always get together and have a good time so sounds like somebody's interested in entertainment i was going to ask are any of them interested in entertaining yeah. singing what Actually, Anthony and Romero just did a song together called Quiz Nae. Hit that real quick. That lick, get that lick real quick. It's a. It's interesting. It's a really interesting song, and and he just did a video finish it. So I'm gonna post it on my IG and gonna help him get it on the radio and do some things with it. Yeah, do but they I like it? Do they come to you for advice? Yeah. They okay. Do. Yeah, yeah, and they'll go to Eli, my manager, and ask him things. Um, I know Romero has reached out to him. But yeah, they do. But my younger three, they're really talented as well. Music yeah. as well? Yeah. Okay. One of the twins has a beautiful voice, perfect pitch. He's singing on my, my Instagram as a few times. He's singing on that. So I try not to overexpose them right now because I want them to be able to be kids and, you know, protect them from a lot. But if they want to go into it, I'll, I'll lead them. You're talking about, because uh, when you have six, it constantly keeps you working. And you are working on another album right now, right? I am. Okay. Yeah. So uh, how's that project going? It's going well. Um, as of now, I've, I've worked with uh, Knife Wonder. We've got some really, really great ones. Love him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have Rhapsody on a song. I have Rick Ross uh, on a record. Um, There's a guy by the name of... Uh, Jay Hines, who's incredible. He's like one of the young, that young sound. Jacquees, I have a song with him. When they were trying to pit us against each other, there was a a, vi a viral video going around. Like I looked like I wasn't interested in what he had to say. Nah, nigga, I was tired. <laughs> so we're right. in the elevator, and they kept, they kept doing it. They kept trying to make something happen negative. I was like, you know what? I called him. I said, hey, Jacquees, you know they're trying to, do whatever they're trying to do. I said, let's just go on here and do this record. He said, I'm with it. OG, sent it to him. He jumped right on it. And so, big up to Jacquees. Oh, perfect. The young, the young R&B king. I was going to say, um, you got to mess with him about being an R&B king. Yeah. Yeah, that was the we'll day. we tear him up, though. He don't want to come over there with the big boys. Man, I'm telling you, that was the day social media, Yeah, uh, they yeah. kind of drug him a little he don't bit. Say, he don't want to come in the arena with, with saying around me, KC, and, uh, and Calvin Richardson today. Yeah. But we'll let him have his R&B style. You'll let, you let him have it yeah, over there? Yeah, right but you want to come in there with that... That, that that offspring of liquor, that liquor singing. <laughs> <laughs> liquor singing. So yeah. what do you, um, is it hard, especially at this day, um, stage in your career, whatever, with the new things that you want to try and do, is it hard to balance that against, um, you know, these core fans that know you for, you know, one thing or, or attached to one version of Anthony Hamilton? Is it hard to kind of break out of that and try new things? It is because people want what they want. They want what they fell in love with. Uh, with you for and but but I, I figured it out if you give them three or four core Anthony Hamilton songs with a little bit of rock gut a little bit of happy feeling a little bit of cornbread and fish and some collard greens they'll let you do a song with like Jacquees um, which is still R&B and great great music and uh, they'll let you do something with with like a Rick Ross uh, but as long as the core core of the song is, is really still strong and the message, the melody, I think they'll give you a little freedom to do it. 
But it's it's fickle. Your fans are they really like, no, you work for me. I get it. But this album here, I can't, you know, I gotta expand. Because it's a business at the end of the day. And you wanna grow and you wanna you wanna be on the mainstream. You wanna you wanna get uh songs in in, in movies, and commercials. So you have to try different things. And it's all about being able to be marketable. Yeah, I had a conversation with music, um, mm-hmm. Soul Child, about this on on the podcast, and he was Love very music. I, yeah, he's a he's a great guy, um, but he was very frustrated with how mm-hmm. he felt so boxed in. Yeah, you know, by that, um, it, like you said, you know, it's a business, and you you know that part of it, but there are personal desires that you want to fulfill too. Are there things that you haven't done that you feel like you can't try because of the space that you're put in? Country music, going full fledged and doing some country. I've toured, you know, toured around with it. I had a song called Lucille, and I've done a song with Josh Turner called Nowhere Fast, which is a duet, John Rich and Big and Rich. But to really go out and do some real country, country stuff and real hard blues, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I have to set that up a certain way. All right, little Nas X Hamilton. Uh. <laughs> you know, it might be. Is that my boy? <laughs> Nas, is you mine? <laughs> um, well, I mean, with this uh, new project, how would you say it is maybe distinct or different than some of the things that we've had? Wow, it's it's a we've seen from you rather. You know, I just did song uh, two songs. One called "I'm Sorry." It's real Motown. Oh my god. And there's one called uh, Have Mercy that I actually wrote for the movie Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan. And they didn't actually use it um, because they they called me at the end of the movie, but I think it's perfect. Uh, But it's going to be used. But this song is incredible. It's a beautiful, powerful song. And then I have some, some stuff that feel like today. But it's still, it's a good, it's a good blend. Um, and I have one called White Hennessy that I did with uh, Knife Wonder that's incredible. So I don't know, it's just some strong music. I feel real good about it. Mm-hmm. I would love to know the White Hennessy story because if for anybody who's not <laughs> been, uh, you know, you know how it is. Whenever you travel out the country, yeah, go to duty free. Go to duty free. Get there that is, White Hennessy. Get the White Hennessy, and depending on what country, particularly if you're in the Caribbean, yeah, good luck finding some. Exactly, <laughs> it's always it, a run on it. Man, people buy it up, and, yeah, and, and and bring it back and sell it for two, three hundred dollars a bottle. <laughs> it's true, man. I was like, I don't know why they, I don't know what's the reason they don't sell this I don't in the states. That either, yeah, because it's. I always get some whenever I go. Yeah, I was like I got some in the liquor cabinet right now. Some you White know what I'm Hennessy. talking about? <laughs> yeah. Hey, but. It's something different about it. It don't have that ignorance like the the brown. <laughs> you Hennessy. said it don't have that ignorance. Nah, I had to stop drinking Hennessy because yeah. it's it was, it was ignorance. Yeah. I was just like, I'm too old to have this ignorance. It's true. So I went from that brown. I was like, man, I can't. I gotta lay that brown on down. But the white Hennessy don't make me. I don't feel like pulling my knife out on that. <laughs> I uh, retired Hennessy a long time ago I'm because of that same like, reason. They, they pumping it in there. You know, black people. When they think black people, like they're gonna put something in. They gonna put something. But yeah, see, I. Like, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I 
to kill to, black people through Hennessy. I took it to a worse level because I used to drink uh, those Incredible Hulks. Oh, you Hennessy and Hypnotic. And, oh, I you know. asking for it. Yeah, I was poor. I mean, what can you say? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You weren't that poor. You had two bottles. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is true. You didn't just have I Hennessy. I was poor in my just... mentality. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that. that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I had a poor mentality there. Damn. And I, oh, I had one of those once or twice. What, uh, Incredible They taste good. But you're gonna be ignorant. Oh, more so ignorant. Man, there's so many almost fights that I've got into. It's just like I don't even understand what happens. God, I was did, like, did they discontinue that mix? Um, no, they, they actually still sell hypnotic. And every time I look at it and see it, it's the blue, that real light that blue. blue one. It's yeah. like my credit score goes down every time I look at it. it just goes down. I'm oh like, my god! It's like. <laughs> It's like I can't even look in your direction. Well, maybe my sister didn't look at that. They didn't even stop looking at that bottle. <laughs> I'm saying. No. I'm just like, nah. But you said they had that ignorance. That's so funny. Man, I'm just telling you. Like, <laughs> so I, now I'm 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 do more whiskey. Okay. And bourbon. Okay. Uh, you elevated. All right. Yeah. You you. I was joking with you at the beginning of this podcast about yeah. being that fan because uh, you. I've seen you talk about this before about fan encounters you've had. Um, what's kind of like the strangest request you've received from a fan? Because I know they all throw a video in your face and say, "Hey, I was can say you say that?" Yeah, like mm. I don't want to be on your phone. I don't know. <laughs> and they've like, been like, "Call my mama." God, hey, my mama want to talk to you. <laughs> Hey, Ma. <laughs> hey. How you doing? Or, you know, I'd rather you FaceTime. I don't want to put my mouth to your phone. I don't know what you're licking, what you're doing. So I don't really, to, you know, put it on speaker. I'll do, I'll do it on speaker. And you know what? I'm the type, I don't ever turn nobody down. I'm always available to be available for, for my fans. And I'll get home some days, and people like, I ain't heard from you. I said, yeah, I had to re- reboot. Because my fans wear me out. I'll take a million pictures. Just in Mexico, there was nowhere to go. We're at the food court, and I'm hungry. Blood sugar going. Can I get a picture? Can I get a picture? You know, you get people ask, can I come and sing at that party? It's like a birthday party. How much would it cost for you to come and sing one song? It's going to cost a very lot. A <laughs> very lot. <laughs> And uh, you got to get me there too, right? They understand they, it's they travel understand. and your yeah, equipment, yeah, right? And yeah, if you need equipment, yeah, if you need singers, the fact you that I'm not always available to sing at your house party, I'm not coming to your house. First of all, I don't know you, and uh, I'm not I'm not coming. But I'll do. I've done weddings for people who I really don't know, some celebrities and some not celebrities. But people just think that they can push a button and. You can be available. Now, of course, uh, because you're, I mean, even though dudes, like, love you, mm-hmm. clearly you, you have a strong female fan base. So what's some of the memorable female fan encounters that you've had? How many panties you done got thrown at you at? I got a few panties. I got a drawer with some <laughs> panties. You got a drawer? Yeah, so you kept yeah, them. <laughs> them. Yeah, like wash them and put them on in the drawer. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I have a few panties. It was early in the career. Are you uh, kidding? Are you serious? I'm dead serious. You re- <laughs> Yeah, they were thrown on stage. Oh, yeah? In, pick them up with a pencil, put them in a bag, take them home, put them in the washer. Some drawers. Is there any reason you wanted to... Why did you want to keep those as a memento? I mean, all the greats got panties. Why not Why not fall in the, in the path of the greats and get some panties? I think, it, I think some kind of way, panty power is helping me sing... Having longevity, panty mm, power. Got you. So panty it's like, power. 
it rejuvenates you. You like you go touch the I go the in that pan- drawer and, and the light come on. I open the drawer, that light. Oh, mm. and I close it. See, Black Panther had a mask. You got panties. Panties. Mm. And I think it's it's some kind of way energizing my career. That um, if, if the cleaning lady touched that drawer, I kill her. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I've had some panic. I've had people fly in. Like this one lady flew in from from Alaska, saying that God told her that I was. She's my wife. She said she bought a twenty three hundred dollar ticket, but didn't have enough money to buy a ticket to get into the show. Me being as kind as I am, I gave we gave her a ticket. She can get a ticket to the show, but she is not allowed nowhere near me. Then she needed a, a hotel room. So we got a hotel room way away from where we were staying at. And uh, she didn't have no coat. It was freezing. She actually just left the house, paid $2,300 for a ticket. It was freezing. And she was outside at the back door. And I didn't get out the car until they sorted that out. Wow. She was really, really, really strange. I've had a few stalkers who would just pop up, and I'm always nice to them because I want to see where they at. So you start being mean, they start hiding and doing extra stuff. But I was like, I keep smiling. I'll say your name. Hey, so and so, I see you over there in the cut. It's it's scary. It's scary though. It can be a little scary. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Before I get you out of here, uh, Anthony, I like to play a little game with my guests. Oh lord! Yeah, I know. See, because um, look. Got to make you think. All Come right. on, Jamil. <laughs> it was a game we call this or that, right? I should say I'll call, I'll call them we. I guess I think of myself as two people. I don't know what's up with that. But anyway, um, let's not dive into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Uh, it's called this or that. You get two choices. You got to pick one or the other. Two choice. Okay. <laughs> okay. Two there choices. Two choices, All right. right? All right. Collard greens and macaroni and cheese. Collard greens. I'm lactose. Can't tolerate. You lactose. I can't do Dang. it. I can't even look at cheese too long. Oh. You miss out on so much. No, I'm not. I got vegan cheese and it's awesome. I don't believe you. I promise you I can go make you grilled cheese right now. And I wouldn't know the difference? You would not know oh, the y'all difference. Oh, y'all vegan. Or you're not a vegan. You're more plant-based guy. Yeah, uh, I'm vegan four days a week. Some days five. Okay. But I'm going back to it. Ooh, so you can't do ice cream? I got, I got, we got non-dairy. It's awesome. Oh, that's Butter right. pecan. Awesome. Mm. Vegan butter pecan. I'm telling you, bless sure. your heart. Sure, I'm gonna take your word for that one. Uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas? I'm gonna send you that. I'm gonna send you a housewarming gift for that. You whole, are whole vegan. Oh, vegan. Yeah. Yeah. So I will eat it for you. Okay. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Christmas. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because because uh, why is that your my kids? Ah, and, that's true. Uh, I like giving back and. Uh, I like collecting socks because that's all I get. <laughs> uh, Jodeci or Boys to Men? Jodeci. So you having my baby, and it means so much to me. There's nothing more precious than to raise a family. Don't be in here out casing and casing. Man, I love it. No, <laughs> that's my cousin. But you know, I, I, he's one of my favorite all time vocalists, hands down. Mm. Him and the guy, uh, Dino from H Town. Dino from H Town. What? Man, the bosses are just incredible. Mm. Uh, voodoo or Brown Sugar? Wow. Those are two D'Angelo albums for those I who know. may not pick up yeah. on that. Yeah. Jesus. 
brown sugar was awesome. It was. But this is tough. I'm going to say voodoo. I don't I, blame you for that. Yeah, I don't. I really cause, don't. Because it was brown sugar, steroided up, world traveled up, grown. Whew, that's a hard one. I feel, I don't even know. Maybe I, I think I might get some residuals after that. <laughs> and Black Messiah was one of my favorite too. Black Messiah was good too. It was incredible. Yeah, I felt yeah. like it didn't get the, the love it deserved. People not, they weren't ready. Because, mm -hmm. you know, he went from brown sugar to voodoo. And that was like a four or five album jump. So he jumps. Like, you don't know where he's going to land when he come back out. So, you know, you, you got to be ready for it. And some people can't, they can't, they can't do it. Charlene or Point of It All? Charlene. Point of It All is beautiful, beautiful wedding song. But Charlene keeps the lights on, the gas in the car. And it's just. Is I, that a bigger fan favorite than Point of It All? I mean, they're both oh, huge. Hands down. Really? The best of me mm. is probably, it's, it's, it's running neck and neck with uh, Charlene. Um, pass me over. But yes, Charlene, hands down. Like, people don't even call me Anthony sometimes. Charlene! That's Charlene! Charlene! That's it. My eyes like. Oh, goodness. So, so, so definitely, hands down, Charlene. Okay. Um, and finally, your lamb curry or your cabbage? Wow, cabbage, man, because I can slide that on any plate. Because you swear on your cabbage now. You put it on. You you put it on. You make it sound like a risk-it-all dish. Y'all look like y'all got a stove in there. Let's do it. <laughs> i go buy cabbage right now and an onion. <laughs> what do you put in your cabbage that makes it? Butter. You put butter in your cabbage? Yeah. They got good vegan butter, too. If you don't want the vegan, you can use Land of Lakes. Uh, yeah, onions. Chop it up, put oil, butter, salt, pepper. You cook the onions first, and then as the onions are cooking, you put the cabbage on top of the onions, and then let that just get ignited together and go on in there and cuss each other out. Then you start to stir it, and uh, every now and again, put a little green pepper, like a bell pepper, and it adds a nice flavor. But, but yeah, and sometimes I'll make, make it with bacon, for like turkey bacon for people who want that smoky taste, or vegan bacon. But hands down, cabbage, man. All right. Um, you what ever had cabbage and greens mixed? I have never had that mixed. Oh, I just made some. God, it's so ignorant. It was, so Ooh, was it? What? Oh. What'd you make with it? What'd I make? I made a whole lot. I, I did a, well, I cooked for my boy's birthday party, so I made that. I made um, uh, ground turkey, like stroganoff or hamburger helper kind of, but from scratch. I made baked beans, seasoned the right way. Oh, I made them some wings. I couldn't even taste them, but they—I mean, it was none left in the in the pan. It was a smoky barbecue wings. This rice, cilantro rice. I put corn and peas together, and I seasoned them in a in a, a cilantro butter thingy, and I made a nice salad. And I made something else. You making this juice that I'm drinking real non-appetizing right now? I'm drinking some, well, I, some green look, juice, or some I, kale, look, or some I'll cucumber. I take that green juice over uh, anything for three hundred, Stu. Oh, <laughs> no, no, everything you just said, you just said sounded well, amazing. Well, it's in there. Probably you probably got collard greens in no, there. Green juice. I wish. No, it's kale, cucumber, spinach, romaine, lettuce, dandelion. Well, I make kale. Any greens I make, I can it's make kale taste like greens. I love kale. 
I can make any green vegetable. I can make my Brussels sprouts. God almighty. All right. See, now that's where you lost me. No. Brussels sprouts are the worst. Everybody yeah, look, say, I, Okay. So you just going to open a box now? <laughs> put, a little, put a little brown sugar on them, a honey, and black pepper, sea salt. I'll make them taste like baby cabbages. You'll never, ever, you'll never be the same. So my my break, Brussels sprout turn you out. My listeners know how I feel about Brussels sprouts. Right? I'm telling you, I, I think they're literally the worst vegetable. Give me a pan right now. I promise you, you'll. I just kind of refuse. I just I've tried them every way: bacon, wrapped in bacon, That's sauteed, cool. all, I, all that. But they don't know how to. They say they be trying to do too fancy balsamic vinegar and all that. Yep, I've had them balsamic. Balsamic. I will accept your Brussels sprouts challenge. I will. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll figure on it out. Day. We're yeah. gonna do it on letter day. We'll we'll figure it out. You ever juice them? Why would I do that? <laughs> why, why would I ever do that? The answer is no. You're going to juice, juice them. Nah, if I saw Brussels sprouts in this juice, this would have never been picking up. Trust me. You really? What I you got never against Brussels sprouts? They look like little midget cabbages? <laughs> I'll explain off camera. Okay. All right. But thank you for coming by. Thank you. You're actually me. awesome. You're really great. Me? You awesome. Yeah, you're really great. Thank you for uh, yeah. thank you for joining me. Thank you for yeah, our And Joe's. I follow you on uh, IG too. Do you? Oh, yeah. well, Perfect. Yeah, I'll make sure I follow you back. Yeah, and, do that. Cause I was like, what is she gonna when she is she gonna ever? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would I didn't Rick know. Ross them on here and I didn't know. Has somebody yeah, yeah. told me I would have done it. And so Anthony Hamilton is getting out of here, and I'm sure my also uh my husband will pre- appreciate that. I'm a mess at the beginning as well. But uh yes. Anthony Hamilton is getting out of here. Uh I'm sticking around, final segment coming up. Fuck it, I'm bothered. So my man Van Lathan over at TMZ tweeted that, and this is a direct quote, Brussels sprouts have had the greatest glow up of the last 10 years. Of that, I would agree because 10 years ago, I don't remember people talking so openly about how much they love Brussels sprouts. Now, before I go on, let me just state for the record, Brussels sprouts are awful. They're eaten only by communists and degenerates. I hate them with every piece of my soul. So when Van tweeted that, I replied with the following tweet. If the choice were eat a plate of Brussels sprouts, save the human race, I tell all of y'all, well, we had a good run. And of course, as soon as I said that, here comes Brussels sprout hive. Now, if this nasty ass vegetable is your thing, then do you, you heathen. But fuck it, I'm bothered by the fact that these Brussels sprout enthusiasts won't let me just dwell in my hatred. As soon as I said how much I hate Brussels sprouts, here y'all go. Have you had them sauteed? Have you had them grilled? Have you had them with Parmesan cheese? Have you had them in truffle oil with cheese and baby elbows? Have you had them boiled in black blood with lemon and vinegar? People, I have had Brussels sprouts every which kind of way. And you know what? I still hate them motherfuckers. I have never been one of those people who says they don't like something, especially when it comes to food, without actually trying it. So please leave me alone about these damn Brussels sprouts. They suck. Period. With a T. Stay unbothered. (laughs) 
Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. 